Thank you very much. That was well, Devon. Oh, you all look very encouraging already. This is good. I like this. So for those of you who don't know me, my name is Adam. Um, I'm an entertainer, um, a singer, a host. Um, and so I spend my life pretty much on stages um, asking other people to look at me, essentially. So basically, I'm big show off is, is what I do for a living. What I don't do for a living is talk in front of people. So this is very new, but I'm quite enjoying it. Um, I was brought up um, in the Salvation Army. My mum and dad were um, Salvation Army officers, which is a posh word of saying they're vicars for the Salvation Army. The Salvation Army, if you've not heard of it, is essentially a church like this one, except there's funny uniforms and brass instruments. And that's pretty much for the fundamental differences there. And um, they're also a charity as well. Um, so I was brought up um, in, yes, in, in a world where from the second I could walk, um, a brass instrument was put into my hand and I was put in choirs. And so I was um, brought up with a very much um, innate quality of, I like, I like being in front of people. I like doing things like this, um, which is interesting when it comes to this, because a lot of what we're going to look at um, today kind of goes against that against that mill, pushes back against that. So Joe, um, if you were here last week, um, Joe talked about the first chapter, which was basically um, Paul bigging up the church in Philippi. He was really, really happy with how things were going there. Um, he thanked them for some of the aid they've been sending him while he was in prison. Um, and so he's, he's kind of opened his letter to them, basically saying, it's so good to be able to chat to you, to converse with you. Um, but then he kind of sidesteps into what I call mentor mode. He goes straight back into mentor mode. So I'm just going to reread these first five verses for you. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each to the interests of the others in your relationship with one another. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus." Now, I find this, this really fascinating because this seems to be a concept that has been interpreted and reinterpreted and kind of put across as new multiple times across history. Um, so I'm going to give you a few examples of those. So um, when I was in my teens, there was a book that came out, um, and the book was called Pay It Forward. Um, and then that book became a movie. And the central premise of this movie was... Um, if someone did something good for you, you would then pick three other people and you'd do something good for them with no other motive other than doing something nice. And then they in turn would pay that forward to three people and three people and three people. The idea being that if everyone's doing nice things for everyone else, then that's a pretty good world that we're living in. Um, and yet when the film came out, the, the, the kind of world was like, wow, what an amazing concept. Why has no one ever thought of this before? Paul did. <laughs> and put it in this right here. The idea that if you've got a relationship with Christ, if your relationship with Christ has brought you any love, any joy, that you should then give that love and give that joy to other people. 
It's a really simple concept, and actually one where time and time again, when we've seen put into action, has real value and consequence for the world that we live in. Um, the best example from a Christian point of view that I could come up with was there, there was a man called Phil Wall. Um, Phil worked for the Salvation Army. He was in charge of all their um, kind of youth activities. And when the AIDS pandemic hit in the 80s, um, it really touched him. He felt really, really, really challenged on it and really wanted to be able to kind of help. So he went to a, in the mid 90s, he went to a Salvation Army event um, called Roots, which is like um, a weekend's conference that lots of people in the Salvation Army all get together in a place called Southport and they sing and they worship and they get challenged. So Phil turned up to this and he stood in front of everyone and he said, so if you are under 18 today, I'm going to give you a pound. If you are over 18 today, I'm going to give you 10 pounds. If you really need that money, if you are in a position where that money would really, really help you right now, that is yours. That's your money, you have it, absolutely brilliant, fair shout. If you don't need that money, what I'd like you to do is take that pound or take that 10 pound and use it to do something like a sponsored walk or this or the other. And I want you to multiply that by 10. So if I've given you a pound, turn it into 10. If I've given you 10, try and turn it into 100. And then send that back to me, and I will use that money um, to help out with age charities. What he didn't tell everyone was that in order to do this, he had to remortgage his house. And he put his whole financial life on the line for this one thing. And it paid off big time. Because not only did people um, take on what he'd said, but he ended up getting back a hundredfold what he'd put in. So then he went to bigger, larger Christian events. He went to Soul Survivor and did exactly the same thing there. He went to Spring Harvest, I think, and did the same thing there. And in the end, ended up um, running his own charity called Hope. It was called Hope 1010 to begin with, because the idea was you gave a tenner and you times it by 10. Um, and now it's just Hope, um, an age charity. And he's been doing that ever since. And he did that because he felt God calling him to do it. But it's because he was imitating Christ's humility. He was looking at the example of Christ, which is what later on in this passage, it says, it lets you know that, um, uh, uh, verse 6, so, yeah, so verse 5 goes, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ, in verse 6, who being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So Jesus, who was God, humbled himself so that he could teach us and lead by example. He could show us what being leading a humble life is, what stepping out and doing things for other people. And it's really countercultural. It's a bold idea that's being put forward here because especially in the current society and the Western society that we live in, actually it's very inward facing. Western society is me, me, me. What do I need? What do I want? What, what's my ambition? 
Whereas this one means I'm looking at you guys going, what are your needs? What are your wants? What are your ambitions? How can I help you achieve that? And, I, and, and it blows my mind, really. And as a performer, it kind of pushes against because I like being up here, going, look at me, look at what I'm saying, look at what I'm doing. But actually, Paul's challenging me to, that's, that's well and good, mate, but actually, it's these people you should be helping. It's these people you should be doing it. And how do you do it? You do it through Christ's example. So we're going to try something right now. Um, I want you to all stand up, please. Okay. <laughs> this is either going to work or it's not. <laughs> if it works, it's going to prove my point really well. If it's not, God is humbling me, and that's fine as well. <laughs> okay, so. <clears throat> Bum. Okay, so when I jump, that's the note I want you all to sing. So I'll do it again. Bum. So you do it with me. Bum. Bum. Good. Bum, 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 bum. Good. Bum. 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 Good. Bum, 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 bum. Good. Bum. You're doing well. Bum. Bum, 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 bum. Ha <laughs> ha! Yes! It worked. So, you'll notice that what happened there is the third jump. I didn't tell you the note to sing, but some of you instinctively hit that note because you saw what I was doing and you emulated that. You instinctively knew. So the beautiful thing about us having a relationship with Jesus is that we can never be perfect. Only Jesus was perfect. But his example allows us to get as close as we can as long as we follow it. And the great thing is, is that sometimes if you're following Jesus, it's almost instinct when he's working in your life. So when you're walking down the street and you feel, you see something going on, you feel a little pull. Maybe God's saying something about this. And the more you do it and the more you emulate it, the more it becomes natural. I did not sing that note to you. You guys sang it to me. I taught, you took that teaching and carried it on to the next level. So, I'm coming into land, as Mike Pilavach used to say. Uh, I have no idea if I've gone over my time or not. Um, but yes, so they have a simple point that uh, I think Paul is making in this is that he gives us this really great countercultural idea. Let's essentially put other people, put everyone else before ourselves. And if we all do it, then maybe if you're in a place where you're not feeling great and you're not feeling, then maybe someone else will be paying it forward onto you guys. Do you know what I mean? You'll be like, oh, and that'll build you up and allow you to do the same. And when it feels hard, just remember that as a Christian, you've allowed Jesus into your heart. You have a relationship with Jesus. So model his example, be it through prayer, through learning from his word, through looking at the example of his life. And maybe you'll find that maybe some of this is a lot more natural to you and a lot less countercultural than you might think. Thanks very much. And I feel really honoured to be following Adam because uh, that was really fun um, and amazing. So thank you very much for that, Adam. It's great. Um, 
In case anyone doesn't know me, my name's Chloe Axford, and I am um, coming to EMC this summer on placement because I'm doing a two-year um, course uh, to become a lay uh, minister in the Church of England, and part of that involves going to another church, and I feel really fortunate that I've um, got placed here, um, and I've been even more fortunate to be allowed to talk to you tonight. So um, that's, that's me, and I'm being assessed. So if anyone wants to give me any feedback afterwards, I genuinely would love to hear it. So thanks very much. It's great. So the section of um, Philippians 2 that we've just heard has the inspiring subheading in some versions of the Bible of shining like stars in the world. What I love about um, this passage is that it's so true to life. It's got human nature and our natural tendency not to be very shiny down to a T. Let me give you an example. How do you react when you're asked to do something that you don't want to do? When my son was a toddler, his childminder pulled my husband aside one day when he went to collect him and said, I don't want to worry you, but I think there might be something wrong with Jonas's hearing. He doesn't seem to respond when I ask him to help clear up the toys. My husband, who knew his son a little better, said, let me try something. And he turned towards Jonas and said softly, Jonas, would you like some chocolate cake? Jonas's head instantly shot round and he said loudly, yes, please. There was nothing wrong with his ears at all. It was just a case of selective hearing. Now, I'm not saying that that's a male trait, but it is definitely something that, something that he inherited from his father, my husband. Or maybe it's just when I talk, I don't know. So <laughs> when I was younger, I had the opposite problem. My parents nicknamed me, yeah, but... Because whenever they asked me to do something, like the washing up, I always went, yeah, but I've got to do my homework. Or, yeah, oh, but I need to leave for school. I always answered back with a reason why I couldn't do what they wanted, which I'm sure they found really frustrating. In verse 14 of this passage, Paul is speaking directly to me when he says, do all things without murmuring or arguing. It is one of the most human of reactions to have a good moan or a gossip about a person or a situation or to answer back and argue, but it can be so damaging. I used to work at the BBC in Plymouth and for a time, the newsroom where I worked became incredibly gossipy in response to a particular situation. There were lots of whispered conversations in the locker room or in the emergency exit stairwell. Well, it was an open-plan glass office, so it was a bit difficult to have conversations there. The only place that you couldn't risk a private conversation was in the studio, because you never knew whether the mics were on or not, and you might have been broadcasting what you were saying to the entire Southwest, which wouldn't have been good. I'm ashamed to say that while I tried sometimes not to join in with the grumbling and complaining, quite a lot of the time I failed, and I was bad as everybody else. But it didn't make me feel good, it left a bad taste in my mouth, and it changed the way that I saw the people that I'd been moaning about the next time I saw them. I'm also rubbish at whispering quietly, so I was convinced that they'd probably overheard me. Paul isn't saying in this passage to the Philippians that they should never speak out or try to change a bad situation. In fact, as Christians, it's something that we're called to do. But he is saying, don't deal with things by grumbling and arguing. These things may sound like little sins compared to the big Ten Commandments star ones, but they can cause serious and long-lasting damage to a community 
whether it's a workplace, a group of friends, or a church. Eventually, when I was at the BBC, a shining star emerged. I had one colleague who was a Christian, and she spotted that one of the travel reporters seemed to be different to everybody else. One day, she plucked up her courage and went up to him and asked if he went to church. Well, it turned out that he did and that he'd been praying for more of a Christian presence in our workplace. The three of us started a WhatsApp prayer group and suddenly other Christians came out of the woodwork and joined too. One of them, incredibly, was our boss. We started praying together regularly and while things weren't perfect, the atmosphere did begin to change for the better. None of that would have happened if my friend hadn't spotted something special about the travel reporter. St. Benedict, who founded the Benedictine Order of Monks, recognised the damage that moaning and grumbling can do. Benedictines followed guidelines for living known as a rule of life. Part of it says, do not moan or grumble. And then that's mentioned another eight times in the Benedictine rule of life. Now, are monks a particularly moany lot, or are they just human like the rest of us? I love the fact that in chapter 40 of the rule of St. Benedict, it's about how much wine monks are allowed to drink every day. Apparently, it's half a bottle, which sounds pretty good to me. But the rule states that there should be no murmuring or complaining if they get less than that. How well St. Benedict knew human nature. You're looking at the person who used to count the exact number of chips on her plate to make sure that her brother and sister didn't get more than her. And I, I bet some of you have probably done that too. I don't know. So when in this passage that we heard today, St. Paul is telling the Philippians to shine like stars compared to everyone else around them, he knows how easy it is for their starlight to get dimmed. Except he goes on to say that they are not like everyone else around them. Verse 13 says, God is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. This is good news for us, as it was good news for the people he was writing to. It means that if we have God in our life, then he is at work in us, empowering us to behave better. We don't have to give in to a culture of gossip or complaining or arguing as a default. When we're tempted to do so, that's when we need to stop and pray and remember that God is at work in us, helping us to reflect his light as the moon reflects the light of the sun. And did you know that stars also reflect light too, as long as they have a nearby light source to reflect off, like a twin star? So the more time that we can surround ourselves with other stars, in the sense that Paul means it, the easier we will find it to shine brightly ourselves. I also love the fact that Paul tells us to shine like stars in the world, not in the sky, removed from everyday life, but very much in the world, surrounded by all its messiness and stress and bad behaviour. The solution is to turn our face to Jesus, as Adam preached, to model our behaviour on his behaviour and hopefully start imitating it almost without realising. The very phrase, shine like stars in the world, echoes John chapter 8, verse 12, when Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Paul is saying that we can shine like stars because the light of the world is at work in us, enabling us 
and transforming us. The image that springs to mind for me is that of when you're walking along and you see a five or ten pence piece shining out of the mud. It stands out from everything around it and catches your eye. Its luster is not lost from being surrounded by mud and rubbish. Rather, it is accentuated. I'm going to end on a picture of a constellation of stars. I don't know if the tech team are able to put it up now. Um, I hesitated um, to have this. I know it's quite light in here, but if you, hopefully you can see it. If not, you've got some beautiful fairy lights here that you might want to look at. So I'd like to look at this constellation or the lights around us and pick just one star that you identify with. As you're looking at your star, let's just pray for the week ahead, for the places that we will be spending our time in and the people that we will be spending time with. And we're just going to pray a simple prayer now. Lord, we pray that you will help each of us to shine like stars this week, to illuminate the world because we are living in your light. Amen. Thank you so much. Big thank you to Adam and Chloe, because they've basically done the hard work for me and said a lot of what I'm going to say to you right now. So, if we haven't met, my name is Claire. I've been part of Exeter Network Church um, since about 2016, actually, when I moved to Exeter. Uh, by day, I work in public health, and by the rest of my quote-unquote spare time, I am studying my master's in public health with Exeter Uni. So it is a true honor to have something different to talk about for a few moments. Um, now, I'll be honest, when I was assigned this part of the chapter, I was a little bit gutted. It is not probably the most memorable or famous part of Philippians 2, unless you would like to disagree with me. When I read it, despite having read Philippians a number of times, I couldn't actually really remember this part, which felt awkward to be standing up here talking about something that clearly I have previously glazed over. There's all these beautiful kind of metaphors and motivating passages in the chapter kind of leading up to now. And what do I get? What feels like the travel arrangements of two guys? However, being a practical person, as I am, as any of my friends can attest to, there is some gold in here. So, having read the How to Give a Talk um, textbook, I'm going to title this, Being Sent, Prompts and Practicalities. So, to remind us of the context that this letter is written in, it's helpful to remind, remind ourselves of what Joe said last week. We have Paul who's in prison, and we have the church in Philippi who are going through their own struggles. They've got their own stuff going on. And one of the commentaries I've read talks about their relationship as being a partnership in the gospel. But at this point in history, these two, Paul and the church, they can't actually get to each other. Very physically, they are separated. And so they employ between them, Timothy and Epaphroditus, to basically do that connecting and mediating work, both sharing Paul's letter, the word part, and sharing practical 
care package like help to feed Paul to take care of him while he is in prison. I wonder if that prompts you to think of other stories in the Bible that are similar. Most famously, Jesus, sent by God to restore relationship and partnership in the gospel between humankind and God. The Great Commission. Jesus sending his disciples, and also us, to make other disciples. The sending of the Holy Spirit to equip the early church, and us as well, to take on the role of demonstrating with love and power who God is. So there's a real pattern that we see, and that's demonstrated through this story. And the most repetitive word in this passage that stands out to me is the word send. And that kind of summarizes it, doesn't it? It summarizes what is happening here, that Timothy and Epaphroditus are being sent, just as we are. So I wonder what reaction that brings about for you when I say that we are sent. What does that elicit in you at this point in your life, in your faith with God? Maybe a bit of despondency. Heard it before. Maybe a bit of fear. It's a scary world out there. Maybe a bit of confusion. What does that look like? Maybe you're excited. My sense is at the moment is the church is a little bit uneasy about the word sent. The world has changed massively in the last couple of years, and I think we're kind of feeling out what we're meant to do about that and how we're meant to go out. Now, for me personally, the word sent means, has meant and looked very different across my life. Being a teenager, being at Soul Survivor, it's a very enthusiastic atmosphere. And I would associate that with the likes of going to other countries, leading churches, you know, that kind of, you know, missionary state of idea. And yeah, I've done that for a while. A bit later, was more focused on career, wanting to be sent to a particular career. Kind of toyed with that for a while. And in some instances, there were points where I felt very much like there was a particular place, people, organization that I should be going to. felt very convicted of that and kind of hunkered down and went after that. And at other points, I kind of didn't feel that. I knew that I couldn't do what I was doing anymore because God's kind of said, nope, you're done with that season right now. But I didn't have that conviction and that excitement towards something, so I kind of had to go with, where is the open door? And go, okay, looks like over there. I'm going to step through it, and I need to find out and press in what me being sent here looks like when I'm not massively excited for it. So in terms of the practicalities, what I would say is, scent can look different. I've seen it in my life. See it in stories in the Bible. And to help in understanding what scent might look like in your life, in the world right now. And there's a really great passage in here. So Paul says of Timothy, 
that there is nobody like him. He has a genuine interest in your welfare. And welfare refers to health, happiness, and prosperity of a people or group. So I put that there, potentially to help some of you, if you're not quite sure what scent looks like at this point in time for you. Perhaps you can use that as a guide to pray. God, give me a genuine interest in somebody's welfare. A person, a group, an organization, a geographical location, whatever that might be. Or perhaps that gives you a guide to discern what God actually might be saying to you already. Sometimes we can think of being sent as being this dramatic kind of thing that's outside of ourselves that we go towards. Maybe it's something that God's already put in here. Do you have a genuine interest for the welfare of somebody, a group, a place? Maybe that might help in discerning what God is saying. And just because I don't want us to be too comfortable, apparently, I want to convey to us the challenge of verse 21, and I include myself in this. Paul says, for everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. And I don't have time to go into a whole kind of backstory and parameters around this in terms of what it looks like to point to the rescuer and not be a rescuer. We don't have time for that right now, but just balance those things, please. But as Adam was saying, paying it forward. It's human condition, I think, at this point in time when there's a lot of fear around, when there's a lot of not knowing what's going on in the world to look in to protect my house, to protect what's going on here. But that's not what we see what Jesus does. That's not what we see that Jesus demonstrates. And so I've been compelled and convicted so many times this year already of points where I have put myself first as opposed to being outward looking and seeing what's going on with other people. It's a hurting and scary world out there that needs to know the love of Jesus. And so, to close, because I'm still relatively young and kind of relevant, I want to end on a quote from Stormzy, nonetheless, who um, graduated from Exeter University this week. He's um, given an honorary degree. And I feel like he summed up this idea of being sent so beautifully. He said, and I quote, I've been so richly blessed by God. I bear fruit and I share fruit. That's just what we're meant to do. Thank you. Fantastic. Hi, I'm Lucy. Um, I'm really sad not to be at church today. Unfortunately, I've got COVID. But um, yeah, I'm excited to be able to still share my um, thoughts with you in the over the next nine minutes. So um, yeah, like I said, I'm Lucy. My husband, Ian, and I moved down to Exeter nearly eight years ago now, and we joined ENC. Um, and we've been here ever since. So we've got two little kids, Lenny and Reuben. You might have seen them around with their curly hair. Um, it made me laugh when John gave me this section to talk about. 
Um, I'm not great at learning parts of the Bible, but um, I had to learn the whole of Philippians 2 to pass my YWAM discipleship training school back in 2003. And although I can recite the words, it's been great to spend time looking into the section and asking God what his message is for us today. So in this section, Paul is in prison in Rome and writing this letter to the Philippians. He's rejoicing at the news he is hearing that they're united in Christ and he's encouraging them in their new faith. So I want to take these next few moments to look into this passage and explore how God wants to encourage us. So this whole section is about shining as stars. And I think today for us, this is about integrity. The idea of being completely honest, whether in public or in secret. Living lives of integrity, integrity in our workplace, integrity in our home, integrity in our relationships and integrity with our money. Because I think it's that very essence of integrity which will really set us apart. And um, as it says in verse 15, let us shine like stars in the universe as we hold out the word of life. And I think it's that life of integrity, whether in public or private, that will show us as children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation. So I was recently challenged on this. Um, I'm a freelancer, um, a freelance writer, and every month I invoice my clients for the hours I've worked. And sometimes I just feel like rounding up the hours to give it an easy total, easy maths to work out. Um, but then I always sense God's voice quietly inside me, sort of just checking me. And at that point, I just know I feel like, you know, God's saying you need to have complete integrity with your with your money. Um, even if people aren't gonna see it, I'm he's gonna know. So yeah, as um C. S. Lewis puts it, don't shine so others can see you. Shine so that through you others can see him. But how can we become blameless and pure, like this verse says? How can we do everything without complaining or arguing? The calling in this section can just feel too difficult. After a bad night's sleep and a really long day at work, how do you shine like stars? I think throughout this section, there are some great pointers. For a start, I love the fact it's not something we have to get right from day one. Paul encourages the Philippians in verse 12 to continue to work out their salvation. It's a continuous process. It's about continuing to learn more about God, continuing to grow in understanding and not just standing still. And it's about continuing to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Well, the Greek word translated fear in this context means reverence or respect. So this is speaking about how we need to continue to grow in understanding of God's majesty and his holiness. I really love that bit. Um, do you ever get that moment when you really sense God's majesty and his holiness? I sometimes feel it when I walk into the cathedral, that incredible overwhelming power of God. But I think ultimately the answer to shining as stars lies in verse 13. 
for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. It is God who works in our life, who gives us his Holy Spirit to speak to us gently and show us that something needs to change or we need to work on a specific area of our life. And it is only through dedicating every day to God, I think it's through spending time in his word, by soaking ourselves in his presence, by living close to him, that our lives will shine in a way that others really will see God in us. Every week my daughter comes home with a library book from school and for the last four weeks in a row she's chosen a series about a group of fairies and their arch enemy is Jack Frost. And after reading these books for the last few weeks she says she's beginning to feel like Jack Frost is all around her. And we talked about how when you read lots of something, you begin to immerse yourself in it and can, belink, and can begin to believe it's actually real. So she's decided to give him a break for a while. But actually, I was thinking that's what we need to be doing with the Bible. It is real. It is God's word. And we need to be immersing ourselves in it so that we hear his voice every day. It's through the word of God that we'll renew our hearts and our minds. I'm friends with a mum at Eleni's school who is working on her PhD in Islamic studies. And she just mentioned to me one day how her six-year-old boy loves to study the Quran. And as she shared that, it struck me how little I spend time studying the Bible and let alone helping my children to learn how to study it. And I was reading an article from Christian Today and in a recent poll they found that only 14% of British Christians read the Bible at least once a month. 14%. Well, 55% said they never read the Bible. I think often the hardest part is making the space in our lives to spend time in God's word and hear his voice. And it's not about feeling guilty if we're that 55% because we can all put our hands up to that at times. But it's about making space. So my final thing is about just letting each of us take time to slow down, letting us make space to spend time in God's word. And that as we do, we can ask God to speak into our hearts the small changes that we need to make so that we can live lives that truly show God's power working through us and in us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the freedom to read your word and to learn from it. And Lord, if there are people here today who feel like they don't have the time to read your word, I pray that they can take the first simple steps. Maybe just to find five minutes to step outside, read a psalm and listen to the birds sing. And as they do, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit will wash over them. And Lord, if there are people here today who feel like they're living in fear, I pray that they will know you right beside them. They will experience your gentleness as they reach out to you. Amen.